Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com, previewing the not very small matter of Chelsea versus Arsenal at Kings Meadow on Friday night. I don't know about the rest of you listening to this, but I've been laying awake at night thinking about this game for quite a long time now. It's had a big red circle around it in the calendar for several months, and now it's nearly here. I'll I'll be frank with you, I'm shitting myself to be honest, but. We felt such a big game. And let's let's actually let's set the scene for this game. So for those of you who don't know, Arsenal are two points clear at the top of the WSL with Chelsea in second. Chelsea have a game in hand. So that tells you what a big game this is. So if Arsenal win this and they can put a five-point cushion back to Chelsea, albeit having played a game more, then you probably make Arsenal favourites for the title from there. A draw, you probably marginally make Chelsea favourites because it's in their hands. A Chelsea victory, and I think you make Chelsea quite big favourites. So it's a massive, massive game. And from Arsenal's perspective, I think a must-not-lose game. Probably for both teams, actually, a must-not-lose game. However, having set the scene, let's introduce some of the main characters uh, that we're going to talk about this game with. So first of all, as ever, uh, our reliable co-hosts, Alex Ibaceta, who you can follow on Twitter at Alex Ibaceta23. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm shitting myself too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Well>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's will sum up that that might even be the title of the podcast. Um, we'll see if we can get that past Apple and Spotify. And giving us the Chelsea perspective, you might remember we had Jesse on uh, just before the FA Cup final between these two teams in December and we decided that worked that turned out to be such a good omen for Arsenal that we'd repeat the experiment um, so please welcome Jesse Parker Humphreys who you can follow on Twitter at Jesse JPH Jesse how are you doing uh yeah I mean I'm glad that everyone on the Arsenal side is shitting themselves because I'm on the Chelsea side and I feel exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> yes this is an absolute no holds barred for both teams um, I think it's it's the kind of game I'd probably love to watch as a neutral. It's a, a like I'd liken this game to a penalty shootout, like great fun unless you're involved. And if you're involved, do, do you know what? I, I think I've been dri- I've I've had like the um what's the song called the Tribulator, uh, like going around in my head. Uh, Harry and the All Stars just going around in my head because that music. It I, I used to love that song, but it makes me feel sick because. Um, with nerves, I should say, because that's the song that Chelsea play when the teams come out of the tunnel. Chelsea men and women play that. So that's always a signal to me to be very, very anxious. But nevertheless, Jesse, if we start with you on the kind of Chelsea side, um, obviously there was the cup final. Well, I have to reluctantly acknowledge that the cup final was a thing that happened um, back in December. And actually what was kind of weird was that that really 
like that really started a spell of quite indifferent form for both teams. There was a, a few games there after that where, you know, um, our good friend Sophie Lawson on Twitter just kept like tweeting, what did this game do to you guys <laughs> afterwards? So from a Chelsea perspective, Jesse, what, what in your view did happen with Chelsea in those kind of weeks immediately after winning the FA Cup? Yeah, spare a thought for this journalist who wrote a piece after that uh, game saying, oh, this is a great opportunity for Chelsea to kick on and really like extend their season. <laughs> um, I think, you know, as with most of these kind of things, there's no real neat answer for what went on in the kind of, I'm going to say five or six games that, that took place in December into January for Chelsea. I think... There's a couple where Chelsea played well and were unlucky. I think the nil-nil against Juventus and the nil-nil against Brighton, both both of those games, I thought really they were, in inverted commas, one of those days matches where Chelsea just has more than enough chances and some very good goalkeeping performances basically meant it didn't happen um, for them. I think uh, Chelsea obviously lost to Reading and Wolfsburg in that, that time period as well. And I think... Those games were a bit different. I felt like um, Reading, a bit the nature of the concession so early on in the match really allowed them to just sit back. You know, if you look at some of Chelsea's good opportunities in that, in that game, Reading have literally managed to put like four players on, on their goal line to defend against them. So it's just like a totally crazy like game state situation. But I also didn't think Chelsea did that much to create good opportunities. And I think that was a bit of, you know, Hayes has been a bit strange in some of her rotations this season, real like wholesale five players out, five players in changes. And that felt like one of those moments where none of the players really gelled and, and it wasn't it wasn't really a, a high quality first half in particular. And that then the panic set in. Um, Wolfsburg game, I think similarly, it just like was a real panic set in moment. But I think something that was really not missed in the analysis of it, but... Uh, and Katrin Berger missed that game because of because she contracted COVID. And I think as much as I really admire Zakira Musevic as a goalkeeper, I think for three of the four goals, you can put quite a lot on her. And I think, again, that would have been a different match if, if Berger had been there. Um, it sounds like I feel like I'm reading a lot of excuses out, but I just think, you know, and, and I'm sure from an Arsenal perspective, when you look at the, the chunk of games that, that took place for you guys after that time, it's a similar story. You know, it's not a simple, easy explanation. Like this is what happened and there's an easy fix. Like each of those games had individual factors. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a frustrating one to watch anyway, because I did really feel like after that FA Cup win, that was like the moment where we should have kicked on and it, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I also think we underestimate um, the the extent to which that was a strange period with with COVID um, as well, and with so many COVID cases. And I think both teams kind of suffered with that. And Arsenal had this like drip drip of COVID cases. They didn't have like a big outbreak. They just had two or three players out every week um, with it. And we know that when Chelsea went to Wolfsburg, for example, I think Emma Hayes. Uh, some would say too open about the physical state of some of her players um but you know that, that she said that a lot of them were kind of struggling a little bit with illness and you know melanie leupold's still struggling with covid has long covid not going to the arnold clark cup so I, I do think that maybe we underestimate what a strange period that was to play football in but let's move away i guess from uh, soft factors and some more tactical factors when we were talking before the cup final we were talking about whether chelsea would continue with the back three that they'd played to that point for most of the season now in the cup final 
what was really interesting was that Chelsea were switching between a three and a four. Um, and then we had we had that interesting situation where Jonas Eidevel was holding up blue and red cards from the dugout because he had like two different game plans. Has to be said, I don't think either of them really worked in the end, uh, according to the formation shift. But it looks to me like Chelsea have gone back to a back four fairly solidly now. Is that fair? And are you happy with that change? Yeah, I think I think the back four seems to be fairly set in, at least for now. I do wonder whether we will see a return to the back three when Magda Eriksson comes back to full fitness, just because, you know, Anique Nowen's come in, she's had to play all these games. She's looked pretty good, to be honest, for, for most of it. Um, so whether Hayes would be interested in exploring that with three actual centre-backs rather than just shoving Jess Carter in the middle, I think I think that would be interesting to look at. But that being said, I think Chelsea look a lot more settled and a lot more familiar with the back four. I definitely think, you know, that Wolfsburg game, again, was this weird, like, kind of shifting back three to back four. And Wolfsburg were really able to exploit the flanks as a result of that. You know, Magda Eriksson was the ostensible, like, left back in that situation, slash left side of centre back. And it was just, like, really easy to pull Chelsea all the way across each side of the pitch. So I think that's why the back four has kind of returned. But that being said, None of the things that caused Emma Hayes to move away from the back four have changed. E.g. Emma Hayes doesn't think she's got elite level fullbacks and I would agree with her. Um, So for me, that's still a bit of a red flag. We've just kind of seen Jess Carter deal pretty well with Lauren Hemp at, at the weekend, obviously. So that's a good sign for her playing right back. And Jonna Anderson has been rediscovered a left back, which, which, you know, the, the way Hayes talks about it honestly makes me laugh so much. You'd think, you know, Jonna had been like in a cupboard and Hayes had forgotten she was there. And she's like, Oh my God, I've got a left back to play all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's still a bit of a question mark for me because I'm just like, I don't really see what you think has changed to allow you to suddenly feel confident with this defensive formation that you so um, obviously issued for the first half of the season. Yeah, I like that description of uh, John Anderson, a bit like a, a five-pound note you find in an old coat that you haven't worn for like for a few months. Um, just, just before uh, I move across to Alex to get um, an Arsenal perspective, it seems to me, um, again, as, as an outsider um, to all of this, that, and look, I want to be careful about calling um, calling this progress because the, the 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 fact where Chelsea are, they have to win silverware to call a season successful. If they don't, it's not. That's just where Chelsea are. So, um, but assuming Chelsea do win silverware this season and do achieve like at least some of their targets, it seems to me that one of Hayes' successes, um, kind of tactically, there's a lot of talk about you know um, accommodating talent like harder and Kerr and Kirby and how you get them together. But what's really interested me is how she's remolded players like Jess Carter, um, like Guru Wrighton, who's played as a wing back um, and does lots of different things depending on the game. Jess Fleming as well, who I, I think is just one of the most fascinating players in the world because for Chelsea and for Canada, she just seems to have this like, it sounds like I'm doing a down, but this fill-in role that's just like, I will either go in midfield or up front and I will do all the things that mean that everyone else has total freedom. And and it seems to me that like remoulding some of those players who maybe some of us thought wouldn't have a future at Chelsea anymore it is one of her kind of, I guess, tactical successes. Would Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, although I will say with the caveat of that, I think it's a very interesting situation where it feels like only by the absence of of certain players has has there been the possibility of doing that. So again, I'm still very interested to see how as the rest of the season plays out, as some more of those players come back, um, whether it it gets stuck with, whether those players get left on the bench. Um, you know, like I think Aaron Cuthbert um, has been like the the pinnacle of that. I think we've always known Erin Cuthbert is a very versatile player, but I think she's looked fantastic in central midfield with Sophie Ingle. In fact, much better than she, I think, has at wingback sometimes where I've been a bit unsure of, of how well she can actually deal with that threat on the flank. But I think that central midfield role really suits her tenacity. But she's only there because Lloyd Potts has long COVID, as, as you mentioned, and Ji Soyeon's been at the edge of cup. So is Hayes going to leave those two players on the bench in favour of sticking with Ingle and Erica, you know, that seems hard for me to believe. So um, I think whilst, you know, she's made it work, I, I honestly just couldn't tell you what, what the long-term future of that is. And I think to the other point is it, to whether that allows harder Kirby and Kerr to fit in again, it, it's almost as if she's decided because of, of kind of absence and lack of form that, She's not going to try and fit all three of them in right now. The only two of them are playing. You know, we saw Harder and Kirby, obviously, whilst Kerr was away at the Asian Cup, Kerr's come back and Kirby was dropped um, for the City game. And I, I think that's kind of fair because I think, you know, as much as I think Fran's a fantastic player, I think the past month or so, we've really not seen the best of her, unfortunately. And again, that will be an interesting thing if... If Hayes feels like, you know, she's gone back to the 4-4-2 and a 4-4-2 is, is a formation that I think is really something that Hayes has enjoyed throughout her career. I think she's often seen her, her best success with Chelsea when she's been playing in that formation. You know, does she hold on to that and choose to sacrifice one of those three players kind of once a week to make it work? Or does she go back to trying to once again shoehorn them into a system which maybe doesn't suit the rest of the squad? Um, I, I just genuinely don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting um, with Chelsea. Like when they post their lineups, not least because they post them in uh, number order and not formation. <laughs> quite often, I'm you know the first ten minutes of watching a Chelsea game for me is who's playing where here and who's doing what. And you know Emma tends to be quite um, quite adaptable um, in in the way she kind of approaches things. But also mentioning Erin Cuthbert there, I think it's a travesty that Katie McCabe's suspension. Um, shock suspension, it must be said, has deprived us of Cuthbert McCabe beef, which is uh, one of the main courses of any Arsenal Chelsea game. Um, Alex, I'll come to you for a bit more of an Arsenal perspective. Um, just to ask you how you see this game going, because absent the cup final, and Lord knows we would all like to absent the cup final from our minds forever. Um, Arsenal have actually been much better in these big games this season. So they've taken four points off City, four points off United, beat Chelsea at home. However, I think we both know that that was a very different Chelsea back in September and probably a slightly different Arsenal as well. How do you see this game going? Uh, it's, it's a hard one because I think it goes way past the tactics and the formations beyond that. Um, I think Arsenal have been in a slump um, and we all know that it's very blunt um, whether it be mentally personally just off the pitch stuff um, I don't think they're they have like the bite and the drive that they did at the start of the season uh, for the first half of the season obviously leading up to that unfortunate cup final um, 
So I think it depends just how motivated the players are. Um, I think obviously personnel, Lee Williamson being back will be big. Um, obviously having Tobin, as we mentioned, um, you know, having those 1v1s with a less than amazing fullback at Chelsea um, could be really big. And the overload that we know that works, you know, having Beth Mead potentially on the other side, it just works for Arsenal, but it's very dependent on the injuries and how like fit these players are. Um, so that's kind of, we're not going to know until the day of who plays where and, and who's fit enough to play for how long. Um, but I think what Arsenal need beyond tactics is the mentality. I think once, because Chelsea do have that over Arsenal. I think I've, I've always said that, that Chelsea just have a mentality that you can't really match up to. So should Chelsea go up one goal early, like they did against Man City, I think that's going to be way harder to climb back and not just because of scoring, but because of the mentality that Chelsea have to hold on to that. Um, so I think Arsenal just need to show up on the day, no matter who's on the pitch, no matter the tactics, you know, if we have Viv as a 10, that would be great. Um, but I think regardless of, of tactics and who plays where, I think the mentality that Arsenal need to show in this game is going to be big. And I think that's going to potentially be even bigger than, than the football that they play. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing is as well, particularly with Chelsea, I, I tweeted it after full time with the Chelsea Man City game. Overall, a pretty even game. I, I just, even when City were putting the squeeze on in the last 20 minutes, I just thought Chelsea are going to see this out because Chelsea always see this out, particularly at home. Um, I think they, they just, they know, they have that muscle memory of getting over the line in these big games, particularly at, at Kings Meadow. Initially, we had in the running order, I was going to ask you about um, who, who should partner Hafaeli uh, in the event that Leah Williamson couldn't play. But we spoke to Jonas Eideval today and I mean, I, he said he's hopeful about Leah. And that to me means that if she's in a wheelchair, she plays, um, quite frankly. And with the international break coming up, I don't think Jonas will care too much if she can't play for England. Uh, no, I'm sure he will for the player's sake, but... Um, I, I think I think maybe she could have played the United game, but he was really saving her for this game. And I, I think for the United game, not having our first, you know, having a makeshift centre back pairing, particularly early in the game, was was pretty damaging um, actually overall. And having Leah and Hafaeli together, that's just a partnership that just needs to that needs to go now because I think it's got got the great makings. But I think Leah's going to play is the short answer there. So a question I asked Jonas today was about the, um, you know, the Viv Stinius um, link up, um, which we saw in the equaliser uh, for the game against Manchester United. And when we signed Black Stinius, one of the things I asked Jonas, I asked him about the potential of them playing together. And he said, yep, I'd be happy to drop Viv into the 10 and, um, and play her a little bit deeper. I'd be happy to play them as two nines. But the other thing he said was he felt that they would, they could have a good link up because Black Stinius is so good at running in behind. And that's exactly what we saw. I mean, to be fair, the pass was begging for a goal, really. But we really saw that with Black Stinius. And, and I wonder, I asked him today, but he, he wasn't very forthcoming on whether that's a plan B option. Because just because that worked from the bench when we were chasing a game, it doesn't necessarily mean it would it would work from the start. But I kind of, you know, I said, would you be willing to start with those two in a game like this? Uh, to which he joked, obviously, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do on Friday night. But would you, I mean, first of all, would you be tempted in this game to start them both? And do you think that 
that it's like it's a plan A that Arsenal could have, or do you think it's just one of those things? If Arsenal need a goal with twenty minutes to go, do it. It's a, it's a hard one to think because I do agree that it was potentially more, it impacted the game more because it came off the bench, um, and I think in a game like Chelsea, who let's say it's nil nil in the seventy fifth minute, Chelsea are better off with the draw and they know they can see out the game, even maybe get a goal and you put that on and they produce magic like that. Again, it's a possibility. But at the same time, when you look at the strengths and weaknesses of the Chelsea side, as I think, um, I think Chelsea's biggest weakness is their defensive line. Um, when you look at the rest of the pitch, uh, it, it's quite, it's not clear and obvious, but it's the same with Barcelona, for example, their, their weakest links is their defenders. And while Millie Bright is really good at heading and last ditch defending, if you put her on a 1v1, I would take anyone but Millie Bright on that. <laughs> um, not always because she does, you know, she'll, she'll body you out in, on, a, on a 1v1s and stuff. But like even against Man City, there was a few balls that went over. She tried to clear. I don't know what she did, um, but it just went over her head and they were in behind. So I think and when you look at that and you look at, you know, Carter and Ignawan is still quite young. You can probably get at her, maybe intimidate her with a player like Vivian Meadham. Obviously, they know each other quite well. Um, but you have Vaxanius and, and Beth Mead on 1v1s. Yona Anderson, again, not a great 1v1 defender, as Jesse probably agrees. Um, so I think in these moments, I think a partnership like Viv in a 10 and, and Stina Vaxanius in that number nine role can actually be really good. Um, have Viv take on the 1v1s put Cena back into space, you know, whether it be the wingers out into space, I think it would actually be really smart, but who do you take out from the midfield? That's the other question. Um, and then if Leah starts, then obviously that gives us a bit more freedom in the midfield, but then at the end, who do you take out in the midfield? Because then you have to balance a six and you have to balance another number eight who would have to balance off Viv because Viv, yes, she's going to drop in the defend, but she's not going to be a Kim Little, for example. So I think it would actually be, good to start with it but I don't know if it would be smart um, yeah. to kind of manage the game out so we'll see yeah maybe this is a bit galaxy brain but like if you assume that Chelsea start with a 4-4-2 Arsenal could do something similar go 4-4-1-1 uh, maybe instead of um, one of the wingers like uh, Caitlin Ford and Nikita Paris you could have kind of Jordan Nobbs on the left um, of, a, of a kind of I guess lopsided 4-4-2 um, but I think that would probably break up partnerships elsewhere and probably be a bit much um, for a game like this. Um, I, I'd do it against Birmingham, personally. Arsenal are at home to Birmingham. Um, I think, the, no, the, they've got Reading and then they've got Birmingham at home as the next two WSL games. I'd definitely give it a go against Birmingham um, from the start, uh, those two up front. I, personally, I wouldn't do it here. I'd, I'd keep that in the back pocket as a plan B. Um, but we'll see. He was he was fairly sheepish um, about it when I asked him today. Um, Jess, if I come back to you, uh, you, you referenced there that recently, Emma, and, and this happened in the cup final as well, even though probably driven by Penilla Harder's fitness at the time, that we haven't seen as much of Harder Kerr, and Kirby together. Um, I wondered whether you think that that, will continue and whether she'll like whether Emma will drop Jess Fleming in there or just play like a straight 442 how how do you see Chelsea lining up for this yeah to be honest i think based off the city game i 
be really surprised if there was any changes just because I thought it worked really well for Chelsea and it, it did almost everything they wanted to do. And generally, given Arsenal's defence probably being Arsenal's weakness as well, I think, you know, in the same way that, that there were players in City's defence that Chelsea were willing to try and target, um, although not hugely successfully, uh, e.g. Ruby Mace, um, I think it would make sense for them to put uh, Harder and Kerr up top again I think this is mainly working out well for Emma right now, just because, as I as I said, I don't think Fran Kirby's like on on the peak of her form at the moment. So I think definitely in the cup final, it would have been interesting if Harder had been fit, whether she'd gone for it. But I just I just generally think there's a feeling that Emma's picked up on from especially the Champions League run last year that it's just all a bit too unbalanced to, to play all three of them against like very high level opposition. I just don't. I don't think it works slash for it to work. You need to basically constrain one of those players to such an extent that what is the point of having them on the pitch? You may as well save them for, as we saw in the city game to bring them on for the last 20 minutes. Now, again, I don't think Fran Kirby had her best last 20 minutes ever, but you can see what the idea was there, especially, you know, I think the wind had a big impact on that game. But if there wasn't for Chelsea to play the balls over the top for Kirby to run onto as the counter-attack, in fact, we saw Chelsea win against City and United at Kings Meadow, basically doing that, scoring those exact goals last season. And I think that is like the general idea is to have one of those players as the as the closer and and for now just just start with two of them. Yeah, yeah. And and I wonder in your opinion as well, Jess, like you, you said there that you don't think Frank Kirby's been on top of her form the last month. How much do you put that down to like the absence of Sam Kerr and the breakup, I guess, of that partnership? Yeah, I can't really figure it out, to be honest. I think I do think it's had an impact because I think obviously they they were such a duo, but I think also the fact that Harder's maybe been given a freer role has unsettled Fran in certain ways as well. I feel like when in, when Harder and Kirby have started together as a two whilst Kerr has been away, there's been a bit of chopping and changing over who's been the kind of centre forward in that partnership. Um, initially in some games, it was Harder. Uh, the West Ham Continental Cup quarterfinal where Harder scored a hat-trick. She was really the one up top. All three of her goals are just like classic number nine goals. Like it's not Peniel Harder like in this like amazing world beating way at all. She's scoring tap-ins, um, which is great. And she's really good at that for what it's worth. But then, you know, against Bryson, we actually saw Hayes shift that around and Harder was the one kind of dropping back, picking up space, which again is, is kind of more what you think of her doing. But Kirby was the one then left up top. And Really, that's just not her wheelhouse at all, especially against a team like Brighton. It was way easy for them to to shut her down and and there wasn't anyone there to then like consequently win those balls and lay them off. Um, but the only other thing that's like kind of struck me recently is, you know, we do think of Frank Kirby as a very generous player to play to play with. I think a lot of the time, you know, she is always willing to to lay off the ball to make that pass if she thinks it's a better goal scoring opportunity. But she is a player who who's very good at shooting and very good at scoring, but recently it just seems like she's looking for that pass and she's forcing it, not because she thinks the opportunity is better, but because she just doesn't seem to be as convinced that taking the shot will be worth it. And to me, that just suggests that at the moment there's there's something going on there internally where she's just not on the same level of confidence that maybe we saw last season and at the very start of this season. I mean, you know, if you look at the underlying uh, stats, 
Kirby is still like for everything apart from goal scoring, which obviously like Kerr dominates, but like Kirby is still like the num- Chelsea's number one in like the final third, whether you're looking at recoveries, dribbles, you know, passes, but it just feels like it's not quite clicking in, in the same way that maybe we've seen it do before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Arsenal have experienced that with, with Viv Miedema, um, perhaps. And, and actually I think Viv's coming to the boil a little bit. I think something clicked in that second half against Brighton. Um, and I think she's got the, like I spoke to Jonas about this, about like the positioning of her and when she drops off and when she stays up. And I think she's really started to grasp that in the last couple of games and she's looked um, a lot more dangerous and sometimes those things can impact players. Um, Alex, I'm going to try and um, let, let, let's try and hammer out what we think the Arsenal lineup will be. Um, what you think the Arsenal lineup will be. I'm not going to commit on that just yet. Um, let's assume, right, that Manu Zinsberger is in goal. That's unless unless there's something wrong with any of these players we don't know about. Manu Zinsberger in goal. Noel Maritz will play right back because she always plays right back. Katie McCabe is shockingly suspended. Last player in the world I'd expect to be suspended, but she is. So Steph Catley at left back. I think that's pretty straightforward. And if they're able to walk... Leah Williamson and Hafai Elliott at centre-half. So let's try and work out the midfield and the forwards. Who do you think will be, um, who do you think will be the midfield three, assuming we play a midfield three, of course? Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I've I've tried thinking about this. I I really have, um, and I really do like Frida Manum in a Jonas Eideval midfield. I just don't think she's been up to it lately, um, and because of that, I think I will start Leah Valti. Um, but also because I think Leah Williamson knows how to play with Leah Valti quite well already, um, and it also provides us a bit of extra defensive. Um, just solid defensive line in front of our obviously defensive line. Um, so I think Leo Valti would be my, my go-to there. And then I think the other two. I'm I mean, not one's going to be Kim, isn't it? Like yeah, there's I mean, no way Kim's not going to It's play. just, yeah. I think it has to be Kim and Jordan. Um, I think, Jesse, why are you laughing at me? <laughs> just because I feel like I've heard like both of you have this like you know like mental wrangle over these four players like so many times this uh, season it makes me laugh <laughs> it's terrible um I think it has to be Kim and, and Jordan um 
I think Jordan is getting back into really good form. And I think that could actually be really helpful in this match, uh, particularly with overloading one of the fullbacks and the 1v1s and stuff. I think she can be really good. Um, and Kim, I mean, she's always just going to be in the midfield. There's there's no saying about that. Um, but I think it would be, again, something to have in the pocket to bring Freedom Anam on. Um, because I think Freedom Anam is, if we're down one goal, if we're drawing in the last 30 minutes, I think Freedom Anam is a good a good player to to come on. I think she brings on a lot of energy and a lot of attacking um, kind of momentum in the midfield that, you know, players like Leah Valti and a tired Kim Little or a tired Jordan Nobbs might not have anymore. Um, so I think that's the midfield three and have Freedom Manum come on uh, later on and maybe drop Viv in the 10, who knows? I, I think my prediction is going to be, and I know we've talked about this midfield three not really working. I think it's going to be Leah Valti who was outstanding against Manchester United um, albeit she's been carrying a bit of an injury and she's been spared from the Switzerland squad because she's been carrying this foot injury for ages but I thought she was Arsenal's best player against United I think she'll she'll definitely play um, obviously Kim will play because Kim always plays I think he'll start Frida the reason I think he'll start Frida Marnham um, is because in the last 20 minutes of the Manchester United game he bought Frida on and the thing is, I think everyone knows by now about Arsenal's like left-sided overload, that it's, it's, it's become almost predictable, particularly when we don't quite have the players to do it. So if Tobin can't start, for example, um, I don't think we really have the players to do it unless Katie McCabe or Tobin Heath is on the left. Because like Beth is a different type of player. She's not a small space player. Um, so I, but when he bought Frieda on, Frieda was going right over to the right, and I think that was a bit of a sop because United knew to expect Arsenal's left side, and they put all of their players over there. And when he bought Frieda on, Frieda was on the right basically, and I think that was a kind of okay. You figured out that we're going to go down the left, so let's let's try and create something on the right. And given you know Chelsea's probably their biggest weakness potentially is at left back. Um, I, I think, for example, Jess Carter's been pretty great at right back. I think she's a really good, like, pure defender. Actually, I don't know if you've listened to Wright's house yet with the interview with Leah Williamson, but she she bigged up Jess Carter a lot, said that she was, like, one of the best natural defenders in the country, like, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and and I, I agree with that. I, I think when you keep Lauren Hemp quiet, like you've got you've got a lot of credit in the bank there. So I think he's going to go for Frieda because I think he's going to want to try and maybe spring a bit of a surprise, a bit more of a surprise and overload that right. Whereas we know that Jordan likes to overload the left. So that's my prediction. What about your front three, uh, Alex? Who do you think that will be? I mean, ideally, um, if they're fit, obviously I would have Tobin Heath on the left, uh, Viv centrally and, and Beth Mead on the right. I think that combination just works really well for the reasons that we all know that, you know, small-sided, um, small space player that Tobin is on the left side, Beth Mead being able to cut in, go into space, make crosses um, once the ball gets switched over. Um, and I, I actually thought about it also, whether I prefer Beth Mead on the left or right, because um, it's two completely different players and two completely different game plans. Because when she is on the left, she is the player that runs into space, but she's also well capable of cutting back and taking a shot on target. Um, on the right side, she still runs into space, but she has to work a bit harder to, to get on shot on goal, for example, um, when she's not crossing the ball. So, But if I had to pick, I think I would leave Tobin out on the left and keep Beth on the right and kind of 
expect one thing I do want to see from the front three against Chelsea is a bit more fluidity and movement like we have seen previously I think they've been very static in the past few games whether that just be a change in tactics from Jonas a change in game plan or whatever it may be but I do want to see them a bit more fluid in their positioning um, and kind of not get stuck playing the same ball over and over again and kind of make it predictable for Chelsea to defend Um, because as weak as maybe a Yona Anishin is if you do the same ball over and over again she's a smart enough player to pick up on it so I would like to see them be a bit more fluid and in, in the way they play with each other and the way they play with the midfield also. Yeah, my, my front three prediction, I think it will be, I think Beth Mead will play on the left. I think Nikita Paris will start on the right and Vivian Miedema up front. Um, I think the reason he'll do that is because I suspect that he doesn't think Tobin Heath can do 90 minutes. And given what we saw against Man City, for example, away, I think he'd rather Tobin finish the game than played like 45 to 60 minutes of it. And uh, and, and I, I'd kind of agree with that. Uh, so that's my prediction for the front three. And he'll look to bring Tobin and probably Stinner Blackstinius on uh, later in the game to try and to try and make some impact there. And obviously there's Caitlin Ford as well, um, who who could equally start this game instead of Nikita Paris. Uh, maybe she starts on the left and Beth on the right. Um, Nikita didn't get on against Manchester United whether that was because she was being saved or because she's not playing that well I don't know um, we'll find out but Jess if I if I before we do our predictions um, I, I just wanted to ask you I guess because we referenced it a little bit you know Chelsea did play at home to Manchester City on Sunday uh, you know they got I, I mean it, it's doing them down so they got over the line they won 1-0 um, and what what did you make of that game? Because, like I said, me watching it, even when City came on top, and I, I, you know, I'm not emotionally involved, so it's easier for me to say something like that. But I still just thought that Chelsea would get over the line. What was your kind of feeling watching the game? Um, obviously, in those last ten minutes, I was literally like watching from behind my hands because. Um, I've seen City score those kind of equalizers so many times and and it it was a very different kind of game I think for Chelsea you know obviously um in the past two seasons we've played these kind of title deciders like what we're talking about today against City and both of them have have ended in in draws and um both times um City have like scored the equalizer and fortunately it still worked out for Chelsea but I was just like this is so different like we really need to get the three points here to put the pressure on Arsenal um but I also you know once I was kind of you know the game was done and I was taken out of it I kind of agree with what you're saying Tim it, I never really felt like City had an ama- like amazing standout opportunities it more just felt to me like City could fluke a goal here because City always fluke a goal here. And Ellen White always shows up and does something like stupid and Millie Bright falls over or Magda Eriksson somehow gets on the pitch and scores a ridiculous own goal in the 92nd minute because that's what happens when we play City. But actually, when you take a step back, you know, I think um, Chelsea did in particular defend the box really well. And I think this is will be interesting in terms of of the Arsenal game, and especially when we're talking about, you know, Blackstinius and Miedema potentially playing together is, I wonder why, you know, the reason maybe not to start those two is because in terms of that stretch of space, I don't think Chelsea are necessarily going to offer that with Ericsson out of the game because Brighton and Nauen are just happy to sit, really, and just, like, leave that space there. 
and let everyone else go forward. And um, I've done a piece for Opta previewing the game and we looked a lot at the differences between that first opening WSL game and the FA Cup final. And what's really interesting is in the first WSL game, Chelsea are like press, 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 high press on Arsenal, like really forcing them back. And obviously what Arsenal did was as soon as they broke the press, there was so much space to go into. And in the FA Cup final, Chelsea said, and okay, this is influenced by the fact that Kirby scores after three minutes, but Chelsea just said, okay, come at us. Like, we'll just give you the ball and we're going to sit here. And I think I'd be really surprised if Hayes goes back to the first approach rather than the second approach. And, you know, I think it was similar in the City game. It was just a feeling of like, okay, we're 1-0 up, we'll sit, we'll soak up the pressure. We don't need to do anything other than this. Um, and for what it's worth, I thought the first half was really good and, you know, one of the the best games I've kind of, like, best halves of football I've seen Chelsea play this this season. It would have been nice to maybe get an extra goal, but I think the, the conditions were tricky. But in terms of the way Chelsea's press was focused in terms of who they wanted for City to have the ball and who they didn't, it was just, like, to not let Lucy Bronze get the ball basically. And it worked really well. Uh, and when Lucy Bronze doesn't have the ball, nothing much happens for City ultimately. And then, yeah, you had the Hemp Carter 1v1, um, which, yeah, Carter did really well. And I think it's really interesting. Um, I, I was speaking to Omarvind on a podcast and he was just saying like that what he thinks Jess Carter is really good at is if she's just given like one specific task. And I think that's so true. We've seen that throughout the season. I think we saw it with Viv in the FA Cup final. She just like followed Viv all, the, all over the pitch and that was it. City, she just followed Hemp and that was it. And what Carter can't do is is do the like defender space, anchor kind of a defence and and, and watch the runs. But I think whilst she's in a position where she's just like, okay, this is it. This is just your player to focus on. And, you know, I think whoever plays on Arsenal's left side, um, you know, whether that is Mead, Ford, Heath, that will just be her, her same kind of focus. So I think there was lots of positives for, for Chelsea to take away from the City game ultimately. Yeah, that, that's really inter interesting about Jess Carter, actually, as, as well, especially given, you know, what I said about what Leah said about her as like a great one-on-one -on -one defender, a kind of thou shalt not pass great at getting her body in the way. And uh, that, that's that's actually a really interesting observation as well about how, you know, about how Chelsea um, approached that game. And actually something interesting Jonas said in his press conference today, he said after the cup final, the mistake I made was I focused too much on Chelsea and not enough on us because he said, I, f I felt like we were more advanced than we were and that like we had our principles of play very clear. And he said, that was my mistake. I should have, particularly because the cup final came off the back of an international break and he didn't have much time with the players. He said, my regret is I should have focused more on what we were doing in that game rather than what Chelsea were doing. Um, and, you know, so he said this week has been about, we've been focusing on what, what we're going to do. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting. I think both managers are going to do... So, like you referenced there about um, cutting off Lucy Bronze. I think Michael Cox wrote a really great piece in The Athletic about how Chelsea overloaded on that side um, to, to do that uh, to Lucy. And I think both coaches are going to try something that like at the moment none of us know about. And, and we'll only see it on match day. Ah, they're, they're clearly targeting this player or they're doing an overload here or something like that. So... It's, I think it's going to be fascinating tactically, but I'm going to ask you both, and I, I will, you know, put it on the line with a prediction as well. Um, but I'm going to start with you, Alex. What's your prediction? You can I, be honest if you want. <laughs> I predicted this yesterday, and I forgot what I said. 
Uh, but I feel different today. Um, I'm going to go with a 2-1 win for Arsenal. Okay. All right. Ooh, well, she's feeling that, more confident today. That, 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 I know um, what she predicted I, yesterday. And it wasn't Arsenal. Was it, it wasn't that. It definitely was not that. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit better today. <laughs> I um, before we go to you, Jess. I, I I'm I'm predicting a one-one draw. Mm. Um, maybe against my better judgment. I don't know. What one thing I I guess that makes me think that is one thing Arsenal have been good at recently is coming back into games. Um, so they got a late, you know, all right, it's Spurs, but they got a late equaliser against Spurs. They got a late equaliser away at City. They got an equaliser down to 10 players against Manchester United. Like they have been able to kind of claw games back a bit in second halves, which is why as much as I, I agree, Alex, like if Arsenal go one nil down and particularly early, I will get the fear. Um, if, if Arsenal can keep it, at 1-0 I, I could see Arsenal like scoring a late equaliser particularly if they can bring players like Heath and Blackstinius in and that's something we probably didn't have under Joe that ability to bring on like you know really top class attacking talent so I'm going to go with 1-1 Jesse what's your prediction? Well for equality's sake I'll have to go <laughs> with the Chelsea win won't I? Um, I you know, with the caveat that I will hate myself deeply if we don't win after I've now said it on not one but two podcasts that I think we will win. Um, I think I think the 5-0 at Kings Meadow really hurts this team a lot still. And I think there's something specific about playing Arsenal at Kings Meadow, which is just like an extra level for this side. And I think um you know maybe that that the problems that we saw over that you know december early january period were chelsea not really knowing how to extra uh, to to get to that extra level maybe because the fa cup like was so intense for them because i just think you know the hayes idaval battle is fascinating the battle between the two clubs is fascinating the the desire for chelsea to kind of stay at the top of the domestic game i think especially now we've gone out of the Champions League. I just think all of that is so intense for the club that I I believe that I think they'll get it over the line. Yeah, and to, like to be fair, I've always said that I think Chelsea will win the league um, just because I, I've always just felt like as a team they have that experience to get it over the line. So, And, and I, I think Arsenal are slightly earlier um, in that journey as a team, even though we've got plenty of players who've won the league and, and won World Cups and stuff like that, like as a unit, I, I always considered, you know, we did a mailbag episode last week and I said, like, I always considered at the beginning of the season being in the race, I would consider as progress. Um, and then next year, really looking at, OK, we need to be more than just in the race. Um, and, and, you know, that, that sounds like me being a bit lily-livered and giving up, but I've always felt that Chelsea would take it this year. But then maybe next year when, you know, Jonas has done a bit more recruitment and got his players in and, you know, that, that they'd have a better go at it then. But, I mean, if this does finish a draw, which is my prediction, like, that really leaves the title in the balance. If Chelsea win, I, I think it's theirs, um, essentially. Jesse, you want to come in on that? Yeah. 
I think regardless, I don't think this is done. I think it's I think it's a very neat narrative for, you know, I've bought into it. Obviously, Sky are buying into it. Everyone wants to buy into that this is the title decider. But we're in the middle of February and I just think we've seen both of these sides kind of have their peaks and troughs. I think both of them are capable of putting together the, you know, consecutive wins to take them over the line if they need to. But it just feels like, you know, when we start throwing back in, you know, FA Cup games, the Continental Cup final, um, Arsenal are apparently still in this European competition, which I pretend doesn't exist now. Um, You know, I just think that I still think there's there's more more to come you know Chelsea have to play Spurs twice it is disgusting to me that I have to take Spurs seriously as a team in this league now but I feel like I do Arsenal still have to play them and Chelsea have United again on the last day of the season and that could be really big for United if they're in up for the Champions League spot so I I'm really looking forward to the game but I yeah I think whatever happens there's there's still more to come yeah yeah I, I think that's fair and and like I've been like having this kind of idle thought recently about like I'd like Jonas to coach us for the big games, but then I'd almost like to get like just get Joe Montemoro back after Friday night um, because then we've got everyone outside the top four and you know just play just play Montemoro ball and beat them all four nil. Um, just have like a hybrid coaching arrangement like that would be quite nice for Arsenal at this point. Alex, I might as well ask you what what. Um, you know, I, I guess, do you see this as a title? Obviously, it's going to go so, at least some way to deciding. That's just the way it is. But how much of a title decide, quote unquote, title decided, do you see this as? I agree with Jesse on this one, just because when we look at the past couple of months, we see how inconsistent both Arsenal and Chelsea have been. Um, and it's tremendously annoying because they can be consistently good just as consistently bad just one week to another so I do agree that I think although this will be kind of it could be a title decider should everything go perfectly for the rest of the season but will it be I I genuinely don't think so because I agree that there are a lot of points to be dropped on either side and the way that the season has been going it seems more likely than not that Chelsea and Arsenal are going to drop points in another match, um, sadly to think about, but it, I think it is going to happen regardless, whether it be personnel, whether it be fatigue, you know, injuries have, you know, we're getting to the last stretch of the season and injuries are going to be a lot more obvious now with, with the fatigue and the multiple cups coming up, you know, Chelsea have to worry about man, facing Man City in a final now. That's going to be big. Uh, you know, come the week after that, are they still going to be too high on from that final? Are they going to be too low from that final and not perform the next week? I think it is. I think there are a lot of points to be dropped on both sides, and I don't think that they can kind of see it out after having these points from Friday. Um, but I do think, I mean, regardless, it's going to be a big game, and it's going to be a very, very important points for both sides because obviously Arsenal can open a gap, um, and Chelsea can get to the top and kind of know that they can remain there. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's not going to be ultimate the ultimate decider. I think there is going to be it's going to come down to kind of the last few weeks, I think. Yeah, fair. So what we're rooting for is Chelsea to win the Conti Cup and then have a dodgy month after that, like they did after the FA Cup. And, you know, we go from there. I'll, I'd sign up for that. Um, anyway, this this has been a really interesting discussion, really good preview for the game, um, I think, which, to remind everyone, takes place on Friday evening at Kingsmeadow. 
7.45pm kickoff. It is actually sold out, um, which is fantastic as well, albeit I know quite a few Arsenal fans have been caught out by that and not been able to get tickets because the concept of WSL games selling out a week in advance is is quite novel, but... Um, you know, really, really great that it's sold out. And I think on a Friday night, I think it will get a really, really good, really good kind of viewing figures on TV as well. But nevertheless, are, are both of you going to the game? We are, yes. Or even having a drink before. To we even, watch yeah, them. we're in opposite <laughs> stands, unfortunately. So we won't be together for the game itself, which may be for the best. It might be for the better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, you know, my accreditation came through today, so I'll be sitting there being all nice and neutral as usual. Um, but anyway, that's the game on Friday. I'm sure if you're listening to this, um, you're shitting yourselves as much as we are. But nevertheless, uh, that's, that's a preview of Chelsea Arsenal. We just thought that um, a game like this deserved that kind of treatment, um, to be honest. We know we bought out the mailbag episode last week, but, you know, it's Chelsea Arsenal. We we had to go we had to go big on this, and obviously there's an international break after that. So we'll probably come back with another mailbag episode, maybe at the end of February, beginning of March, um, something like that, and we'll try and organise something else for March as well. Maybe ahead of the North London derby at the Emirates, massive week in March where Arsenal have. Wolfsburg, Tottenham, Wolfsburg, um, and two of those games at the Emirates. So we'll we'll see if we can we'll see if we can do something, get a player or two on um, ahead of that. But thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for downloading. As ever, we're enormously grateful for every listener, and we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much, and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.